In many regions of the world, solar is now the cheapest option for electricity. And that's only supposed to get cheaper as technology improves further and further. So yeah, I mean, projections are pretty much that solar is going to play an outsized role in electricity production moving forward. And even by 2027, the installed capacity base of solar is going to surpass coal. So if you think about that, I mean, we've been a world for a hundred years, really driven by coal, China, India, the US, everywhere. And now if you can think about it, solar even coming from its really small base is going to surpass coal even by 2027 and then just grow from there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Opto Sessions. I have the great pleasure of introducing Stephen Durkash, an advisor to EQM on ESG and global product initiatives. And we're here today to talk about solar. So how are you doing, Stephen? Hey, Ed. Great to see you. Thanks for, uh, for having me on. And uh, where are you calling from today? Calling from San Diego, California. I've never been there myself, but uh, it's somewhere I've, I've always wanted to, to go. Is that, did you grow up there? I actually did, and I, I grew up around mostly on the east coast of the U.S., but internationally as well. Been out here about 15 years. Brilliant. And um, obviously, we're here today to talk about the solar industry, which you've got a lot of experience in. So I thought we could start just by talking about how big the solar industry is today and what are its prospects for the future? How big is it going to be? Yeah, I mean, so today, solar is very fast growing, but it's still relatively nascent as a technology. It makes up about 4% of overall electricity production globally today, but that's come from almost nothing a decade ago. So the growth has been very, very quick, driven really by, by cost reductions, which I'm sure we'll get into, but today it makes up about 4%. And the growth is really at the beginning of, of the S-curve. It's supposed to, expectations by consensus projections um, are that, that solar should grow from about 4% of global electricity production today, should double to 8% in the next two to three years, double again to about 15 or 16% by the end of the decade. And then by the year 2050, projections are it should make up somewhere in the realm of 35 to 40% of overall global electricity production. And mind you, global electricity production will also be increasing as the world increasingly electrifies. So solar has a huge role in all of this. Yeah, that's incredible. So it's really the future of, of energy. Do you see a world where solar is the primary source of energy for most of the world? Projections are that it should be, you know, and it's getting driven again by cost. Costs have fallen by 90% over the last decade, and now it's the cheapest form of energy out there. It doesn't solve the intermittency issues that we're still dealing with, but if you were comparing it to an already built coal plant or an already built natural gas plant, in many regions of the world, solar is now the cheapest option for electricity. Yeah. And that's only supposed to get cheaper as technology improves further and further. Uh, so yeah, I mean, projections are pretty much that solar is going to play an outsized role in electricity production moving forward. And even by 2027, the installed capacity base of solar is going to surpass coal. So if you think about that, I mean, we've been a world for 100 years really driven by coal, yeah. China, India, the US, everywhere. And now if you can think about it, solar even coming from its really small base is going to surpass coal even by 2027 and then just grow from there. Do you know the um, it's more traditional companies, are they diversifying into solar and other areas to sort of, you know, make sure that they survive in the future? They are. It depends on which company, the Europeans a bit more than the US. They're still, you know, back and forth. Shell just a couple of weeks ago uh, kind of backtracked on some of their clean energy goals in terms of 
you know, the divisions that they have in the, the renewable energy divisions, they're still doing it, but the capital expenditure and the investment into that area is obviously a lot less than it is for their fossil fuel business. And it's even less than what they were projecting a year or two ago in terms of a percent. So there's still a lot of debate. You know, I think certain fossil fuel companies, they don't see it as their core skill set even today. And even though they recognize the need to probably partake in that if they want to remain relevant going into the future as fossil fuels decline. But it's kind of, this is all being defined right now and different, different boards, different shareholder bases are playing into this. And if we go back to the, the sort of growth drivers of the industry, outside of the uh, obvious one, which is uh, the costs are coming down to for creating solar panels, what other drivers are there for the solar industry that are helping it get traction at the moment? There's really three main drivers. I think cost is probably the first and foremost, because it's one thing to have green targets, but if the costs don't make sense economically, it probably won't get implemented. It's just tough politically and tough otherwise. So costs coming down 90% over the last decade, making solar, as I mentioned, the cheapest form of, of energy, that's the first and foremost driver. But the second one is policy. I mean, if you look around the world today, the three main regions that are implementing solar on large scale are China, which is number one. And in their most recent five-year plan, they kind of upped the ante on solar. They're putting in about 50% of all solar globally today, and they make up about 90% of the supply chain. So they're a huge, huge player in both the supply and the demand of solar right now. The second is the EU with their initiatives for the Repower EU, the Green Deal, really putting their, their weight behind solar. And then the last region is North America. And the U.S. last year passed the Inflation Reduction Act having investment tax credits, which estimates are putting it you know, somewhere in the two, $300 billion range going towards clean energy. But this could be even more because it's on a unit uh, production basis. You know, that, so if you produce more, uh, you'll get more credits. So some estimates are even in the trillions of dollars uh, that you could see. So those three regions from a policy perspective are really getting behind it. You've seen now 80, 90 countries around the world set green targets either in legislation or, or as targets. So that's from a policy. That's the second driver. And then the third driver is energy security. So if you think the catalyst for this, the big catalyst was Russia's invasion of Ukraine. As you know, Europe really had predicated its, its industrial policy on accessing inexpensive Russian oil and gas. And uh, as that became a lot more tenuous, it was a very, very quick shift. And now there's a lot of, of emphasis on energy security, yeah. uh, pointing towards solar and other energy technologies. And solar is the long-term solution because they foresee the cost reduction and you know, the amount of power that you can generate from it. It really is. I mean, and when you think about solar, a lot of people, I think, you know, think of rooftop and um, that's called distributed energy kind of behind the meter. That'll play an important role, but the really, I think the really at scale solution are these solar farms being developed around the world, lower cost, kind of mass technology. And that's where you're getting just you know, gigawatts coming on. So yeah, I mean, solar, because of the cost, I mean, the wind will be an important, uh, you know, you're seeing different types of technologies, but it's a little bit less of a technology really, and more of uh, an industrial mechanized product. So there's some issues with that cost probably won't come down quite as much. Um, of course, small-scale nuclear can be an option. So I think you're going to see a myriad of solutions out there, but solar is expected to play the largest part. We hope you're enjoying the episode. For interviews like this every Thursday, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, make sure you give us a star rating and leave guest suggestions, along with any other feedback in the review section. 
Now, back to the show. And there's obviously been well, a lot of bills and different governments passing support for green initiatives recently. Um, one of the ones that's come up frequently is the, the US Inflation Reduction Act, which is, I believe, a total of, of $370 billion. Uh, and then I think on top of that, there's other discounts or credits they get from investing into solar or different companies. Do you see this as, as supporting the solar industry substantially? or And do you see more of this happening in, in the future? Yeah, I mean, the Inflation Reduction Act or the IRA was a game changer here in North America. So you're starting to see the supply chain be developed here. As I mentioned, it's about 90% the supply chain currently for solar uh, it resides in China. So this is coming off now, coming over to the U.S. based on these you know, subsidies or these investment tax credits. And that $300 billion level as kind of the estimates that people have penciled into their models can actually be much larger because it's an investment tax credit. So it's based on investment. So again, estimates could be in, into the trillions. So yeah, I mean, this is a big, big deal. I think you're already starting to see announcements by certain leading solar global companies uh, that are coming into the U.S. And, and are setting up plants here. And who benefits the most from that bill specifically? Is it, is it the, the solar farms and the uh, companies that, that create the actual solar panels? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's up and down the supply chain. So when you think of the solar supply chain, it starts with polysilicon, which is the raw material. And then you produce ingots, and then they go into solar cells, and then they go into the modules, and then the developers buy the modules. And so the beneficiaries are going to be across the supply chain. Demand is going to be pulled forward and increased. But I think, you know, really who's going to benefit? One are the developers, because you're probably going to see increased supply come on. So prices should continue to fall along with technological improvements. Um, so the developers should do quite well. And then, of course, the consumers, you know, electricity prices, which have been high, especially in Europe, you know, over the next decade should come down. I mean, these technologies are actually lowering the cost of energy. So, you know, as we can get them implemented, I mean, there are some bottlenecks and some barriers, you know, plugging into the system, into the grid. You know, there's queues. We need to develop better transmission lines to get solar from one place to another. But as these barriers come down, the technological costs are definitely coming down. And so ultimately, the, the consumers of electricity should benefit. And uh, you touched on one key challenge there for the solar industry. Can we explore what other challenges still exist? Uh, and when you say the grid, is the main problem just getting the power to the actual households, et cetera, that need it at the right time is a problem because they only sort of um, generate power when the sun's out, obviously. Is that one of the issues? Yeah, I mean, that's the big issue you know, with solar or wind and that it's intermittency. So it only, you know, when the sun is shining, you have the power right now, you know, battery technology is still developing. I mean, we have kind of short duration, we're working towards longer duration, wind similarly. So, you know, when the wind is blowing, we have power. There's a couple of ways to kind of improve upon this situation of intermittency. So the first is if you can lengthen or increase your territory size and lengthen those transmission lines. So for example, if the sun is shining strongly in Spain and there's not a lot of wind blowing at that time in, in the rest of Europe or in Scotland, for example, if you had long transmission lines, you could transmit the energy from Spain up through Europe and it could reach Northern Europe and Scotland and vice versa. So that's one of the big initiatives that's being developed now. There's a lot of companies that are producing high voltage cables. You know, you can see projects going from Morocco into Europe. So this is a big initiative. That's the first way you can kind of get around some of that intermittency. 
And so the second way, though, is by battery technology. You know, so the density, the efficiencies of batteries, again, it's another technology. So you're seeing improvements. We're not at the stage yet where we can really get multi-day or a week-long battery technology where you can store up the solar. But, you know, I think the trend over the years, it's working towards that. And if and when that actually happens, that'll be another game changer because now you're able to produce very, very, very low-cost solar and actually store it and use it as needed. And then the permitting process is the other bottleneck. So right now our grid is kind of capacity limited. There's, um, you know, not in my backyard. I mean, people don't necessarily want to see you know, huge solar farms or huge windmills right next to them. So you've got to get the permitting to go in, put these transmission lines in place. And there's queues developing both in the U.S., uh, Europe, other places. Now, China is more advanced. I think it's a little easier, you know, when you don't have different political bodies and you kind of have one state making the calls. And so they've actually rolled out a very, very ambitious initiative to implement transmission to really, really get off of fossil fuels. Now, you know, they have an advantage or, or a real incentive in that they're, you know, a net importer of oil and gas. So I think it goes beyond wanting to compete in the next new technology and, and improve their own standings and energy security as well. Yeah, it's definitely, it's really interesting to, to hear that because it's definitely a perception that China's one of the main causes behind uh, global warming. And, um, and, you know, they probably are to some extent, but what you're saying is that is changing and they are investing in greener initiatives, probably because eventually will be cheaper as well. It's not just uh, the green side of it. Yeah, I mean, I think, yes, they do face pressure, obviously, to clean up, you know, from their own populace. And I think the, you know, the political party recognizes that and wants to do that. So it is green. However, you know, if you're a net importer of fossil fuels to power your industry, your, your incentive is to leapfrog and get away from that, especially if costs in the newer technologies are coming down. So not only can you manufacture and, and run your economy more cheaply, but you don't depend on, say, Saudi oil. You don't depend on you know, shale oil and you know, gas coming from the U.S. Um, you kind of can get away from that. And I think that's one of the big drivers for China. So they're, they're kind of coming at it from two angles. And... Um... Have you got any idea when the next step change might happen in the efficiency of solar panels? Is it really a steady curve that's happening? So we're slowly getting better or does it jump forward at certain times when a new technology is sort of implemented? And is there something that you know of that's around the corner? I mean, the big, I'd say the big jump, and it's going to continue, but, you know, the big jump falling prices, you know, 80, 90% to now the cheapest cost of energy globally, I would say the big jump has already happened and it's made this kind of conversation, you know, able to take place, whereas it wouldn't have been even five or seven years ago. But that being said, I mean, costs are continuing to come down. There's a rule kind of like Moore's Law in the semiconductor space that for solar, pretty much every doubling of capacity has lowered prices by about 20%. So if that rule holds, um, you know, as I mentioned, you're going to see the doubling of capacity globally for solar in the next two to three years, another doubling by 2030. So, you know, you can expect costs to maybe come down, you know, another you know, 40, 50% by the end of the decade. So, yeah. Wow. That's incredible, isn't it? And it's going to be very cheap eventually, you know, in 30, 40 years time, energy theoretically will not cost much at all. Theoretically. I mean, especially if you can work on, on battery technology, I think that's what's driving the excitement. Yeah. Um, it's not, just a clean energy thesis. This is about lowering the cost of energy and kind of changing the game. So, you know, between solar, wind, battery technology, 
yeah, there's a lot of exciting spaces and a, and a lot of ways to invest right now in this space. The battery tech, would that be in something like lithium or is it other technologies that they need to use to store solar? There's a lot of development taking place. Where the multi-day kind of week-long battery technology will ultimately be, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't follow the battery side as closely, but, um, but I think they're coming at it with different technologies, but they're still years away from that. I mean, I think you know, we can get multi-hour right now, maybe 12 hours, you know, but to go into the multi-day, week-long, we're looking farther out on that. So probably it's coming, but, but it's a bit more farther out. And in terms of um, what types of companies exist in the solar industry, so we've talked about the battery providers, obviously the companies that create the solar panels. Are there different companies that own and operate the farms and other types of companies as well? Yes. I mean, those are the developers. And so they're going to typically be selling into, into either utilities. Uh, so they'll contract for you know, kind of long duration, like you know, 10, 15, 20 years with utilities and sell the energy to them, or they can sell directly into companies you know, like Google who are having, you know, for their data needs, using a lot of electricity and also have, you know, kind of policies in place to reduce their own carbon footprint so they can sell into their utilities or companies. Yeah. And can we touch on a few of the uh, solar companies that you believe have the best sort of growth potential over the next decade and why? I mean, there, there's a lot of different, I mean, you have, you know, kind of some of the larger leaders, you have, um, you know, companies that are more on the distributed side of solar, so rooftop solar, you know, here in the US, there's been a lot of growth, Australia, other countries, um, you have, you know, like I mentioned before, the supply chain in China is very, very well developed, it kind of took the, the pole position from Germany, kind of pre-global financial crisis, and then China came in and and did it at scale with a lot of government subsidies. So you have a lot of players in the in the Asian space, but not only in China, but also Korea, Taiwan. And then you have you know companies in Europe like SMA Solar in Germany or Meyer Berger. And then of course you have the developers. And so uh, you know one developer is Scottech in in Norway, and you know they've actually been been very involved in developing solar in emerging markets. You know so Latin America and other emerging markets. So there's a lot of different ways to play it. Some companies are integrated, others are, are just focusing on one part of the supply chain. But I think, you know, the theme overall, and this is why we launched an ETF to approach it, a passive ETF, we wanted to get access to all the themes because it is a cyclical industry too. When certain parts are working, other parts may not be as well. For example, last year, price of the raw material polysilicon went up about four times. So companies that were exposed to that did very well. Now this year, raw material has completely come back down to earth and it's down you know, 60, 70, 80%. So the companies whose margins had been hit using the raw material are now benefiting. So I think you know getting access to the entire supply chain may be a, a bit of a less cyclical approach given that broad-based exposure. And in terms of the industries, it appears to be quite competitive. How do, especially on the, on the consumer side, if you're selling panels or what have you, fundamentally it's probably down to the price and how efficient the panels are. Is the market big enough for all these companies or have some of them got a distinct competitive advantage with the best technology, for example, against others? It's interesting. So, I mean, yes, there are technological you know, advantages that certain companies will have. Solar though in general is kind of considered now a more mature technology it's improving 
And I mentioned that you know, with, with that scale and that doubling of capacity, prices will or are expected to continue to fall. That being said, it's, it's a relatively mature technology now. And so, you know, it's competitive. Scale will help. So the companies that I think can have scale or that can, you know, that can make some, some innovation uh, or improvements will benefit. And I think that uh, you know, a lot of the service players, so companies that are you know, making solar trackers um, or other kind of plays in the periphery or second derivatives off the actual modules um, can be great investments. And the developers. So the developers will be you know, really beneficiaries of all these cost declines. So I think scale is important, and I think you're going to see, you know, really interesting dynamics take place now that the the U.S. is investing so much through these investment tax credits, uh, really trying to challenge China's supremacy in this area. Because I think the new battlegrounds really being fought are in these new technologies. You know, if you look at EVs, solar, battery technology, you know, the country or the companies that can emerge victorious, you know, we'll have a huge advantage going forward based on scale. Yeah. And can we quickly uh, touch on the, the solar energy USITS ETF TAN? Can we go through like the investment goal for the ETF and how it selects some of its constituents? Sure. So as I mentioned, I think having broad-based exposure when you're managing a passive ETF, trying to give broad-based exposure to a to a mega growth theme is important. You know, so we don't try to go in and select one company over another. We take an equal weight approach, looking for pure play solar companies. So companies that are having more than 60% of their revenue coming from solar, we deem a pure play. And we want to get exposure to all of them with an equal weight. So our, our ETF has about 40 companies in it altogether. Um, it offers supply chain diversity, but also regional diversity. So we get about, yeah, about 13% comes from Hong Kong listed Chinese shares. We don't have any in the A share market in China, the local Shanghai market. So we think Hong Kong offers a bit more corporate governance over there. We get another 20% or so split between Korea and Taiwan, which have well-developed solar supply chains. Um, and then we get about a third of the portfolio comes from Europe and about a third from North America. So it's pretty well balanced. Um, from a geographic standpoint and from a supply chain standpoint, and then from an individual security standpoint, equal weighting it, uh, we think is the best way to go. It's a modified equal weight approach, meaning we take those core companies, those pure play solar, and of our 40 companies, about 35 come from that. The other five are what we would call non-pure player, non-core, but they would be important solar players in the industry. And I'll give you an example, it would be Tesla. So Tesla bought Solar City uh, back in 2016 from Elon Musk's cousin. So it, it's an important player in the solar industry, but of course, it's not a main driver for Tesla. But if you were to spin it off, it would be important. So we kind of take that and we say, okay, it's not a core, it's a non core position. Let's half weight that. Those weights would be typically about a percent and a half in the portfolio. The core positions would typically have a weight closer to three. Put those all together and have a pretty well balanced portfolio. And where can people um, go and find more details about this ETF and potentially any updates you have related to solar? Yep. So the best place, it's Han ETF um, in the UK and in Europe. Uh, so H-A-N ETF. Uh, it's our partner in Europe that does the, the distribution of the, of the ETF. On their webpage, you can find all the information about the product. You can see the companies that are in it. Um, we update everything quarterly. We rebalance the, the portfolio quarterly. 
And on a monthly basis, we're putting out commentary on solar. So um, any of your listeners or viewers can find a lot of information on the website. Brilliant. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Stephen, yeah, thanks very much for this conversation today. It's been great insight into an exciting theme, solar, um, which obviously has got tremendous potential over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Um, is there anything else you'd like to, to leave the audience with before we wrap up? No, Ed, thanks a lot. I think that, um, you know, that's it. I mean, it's driven by cost, policy, and uh, energy security. So it's going to be an interesting next decade to just see how fast this growth comes through for solar. I really enjoyed speaking with you about it and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Cheers, Stephen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a quick note before we sign off. If you're looking for an easily digestible daily update on the markets, this might be of interest. Opto Updates is our short newsletter sent every day during the trading week, giving you a bulleted list of the top seven stories from the global stock markets. We've done the hard work for you, highlighting relevant opportunities and trends. And in addition, we'll also keep you notified of any new products, stock reports, or webinars from the Opto world. If you're interested, sign up using the link in the show notes. And thanks also to CoFruition for consulting on and producing the show. Until next time. Co-fruition.